Hello and welcome back to Mental Health Spot. I know it's been a minute since I've been on here. Um, If you are under the age of 18, please consult with your parent, guardian, or a trusted adult before continuing to tune in to my podcast episodes. Any and all of them, but particularly this one. This one is full of trigger warnings. Okay? Major trigger warning. I will be talking about COVID-19 pandemic, how it has personally affected me and my loved ones. And so if this is something that you feel, regardless of your age, that is going to be psychologically damaging for you, then please stop listening to this episode now. Okay. I'm actually sitting on my bathroom floor, if you could believe it. Um, I'm watching my mother, she's outside on the recliner, and I'm keeping an eye on her, and my house is pretty small, so voices carry, and I don't want to record an episode in, in the room and have her wake up. I don't know how long this episode is going to be, um, but let me just uh, get to it, so... December 28th, I started having symptoms of COVID-19, aka the coronavirus. Um, After nine months of being very careful, nearly 10 months of being very careful and very cautious, you know, socializing a bit the last two, three months, um, but carefully, nothing reckless, nothing you know, like going to Disney, and I'm not trying to shade anybody who has done these things, I'm just letting you know what my comfort level was as it relates to the pandemic, everyone has their own, and this has been a grueling time for many of us, and mental health issues are in fact on the rise, so it makes sense to me that people can only take being isolated from their loved ones for so long, that's what happened to me. And so after, you know, months of being home and quarantining and trying to protect my, my loved ones that are high risk, um, I started to safely socialize, not in large groups or large amounts, but just, you know, safely socialize. So the 28th of December, I was feeling really sleepy and I had a little bit of diarrhea. Sorry, TMI for my friends out there. You guys know there is no such thing as TMI where I am concerned at this point, but for anyone who has an aversion to poop, now you know. So I started with that. And so since I suffer from irritable bowel syndrome, I didn't really think anything of it. I was like, oh, it's probably something I ate, whatever kept pushing. I did notice that I was sleepy and I wanted to sleep a lot, but I mean, I also don't get great sleep at night because of my anxiety. And so I didn't really analyze that too much. I noticed it, but I was like, eh, I'm just tired. Eh, it's just my stomach acting up as usual. I went to sleep. I woke up in the morning and I felt my chest very hot. And I was like, what's this? This is new. 
So I took my temperature and my temperature was about 99. So 99-ish is like a low grade fever situation. Although according to the CDC, if I'm not mistaken, um, it only becomes a real cause for concern after 100.4. But any doctors or nurses out there, medical staff listening can please correct me if I'm wrong. Um, My temperature never got that high. It, It stayed between 99 and 99.5 there was one point where it went to 99.8 and that was very brief and it went back down so very very low grade but I felt that feeling in my body like I was coming down with something it's what Latinos or you know Latinas or let's say Latinx community um, I believe that's how we're referring to it it's gender neutral and I appreciate that so the Latinx community refers to that as el cuerpo cortado. El cuerpo cortado. It's like that feeling in your body like, I'm about to come down with something. I felt that way. So I then looked at my phone and received a text message from someone that I had just been in recent contact with that said, hey, I have tested positive for the coronavirus, COVID. You might want to go get tested. So I went that morning, didn't waste any time, got myself tested. And once I realized that I wasn't feeling very well um, to say the least that I was feeling a little weird I started masking masking up around the house I wore my mask I stayed away from my parents Um, I think y'all know that I live part-time with my boyfriend and part-time with my parents at this point my parents are older and you know require some assistance, particularly my mother, as she is handicapped. So the minute I noticed that I wasn't feeling 100%, I masked up, you know, wore the mask, stayed away. I remember at one point my mom even started crying and she was like, you're acting like you have the bubonic plague, stop. And I was like, no, I'm not going to stop. I'm going to mask around you and sanitize my hands. Every time I touched anything, I sanitized my hands. I couldn't sleep that night. I got my results within 24 hours. I couldn't sleep. And when I saw that positive result, I broke down into tears. Not for myself, because I don't care about me the way I care about my parents. Because I'm young, I'm 34. I don't have any risk factors to the best of my knowledge other than, you know, being a bigger woman or an overweight woman. My weight aside, I'm very healthy. I don't have any underlying issues. And so off the top, I wasn't concerned about me. I broke down into tears because of them and my fear of infecting them. So my cousin took some fast action because she got my text in the morning. And I told her I'm positive. And she was like, we need to get you out of there. So she booked me the nearest hotel where I stayed for two days. And then I did some investigating and found a government-funded hotel that actually, again, pays for your stay while you're positive for COVID for about 14 days and provides you with three meals a day. So I found it. 
Um, it's in Miami-Dade County. It's a great resource. I found it. I booked it. I went over there. I told myself there's still time to protect my parents from this horrible virus. And at this point, I was feeling very mild symptoms, a little runny nose, a little congestion, a little cough, nothing crazy. But you guys know I suffer from anxiety and hypochondria. And so being alone with this virus was one of the most anxiety-provoking situations of my life. I was by myself, I wasn't near any loved one, and I was just constantly panicking about every little symptom that was kind of creeping up on me. And and listen, I fared pretty well with the virus, I'm not going to lie, compared to some people close to me. I did fare pretty well, but there were little moments, like I had this burning sensation in my lungs and my chest, and I was just like, yo, what's this? And then I would talk to friends of mine that had the coronavirus and were like, oh yeah, I felt that too. So it kind of made me feel a little better, but I was sitting alone with my anxiety for a week. I left my house for a week. And I thought to myself, what a great act of love. I'm saving my parents. And it will all be worth it if I have to sit here by myself with anxiety and depression if it means they're going to be okay. So, you know, I video chat my parents on a regular basis, check up on them, and I see my dad acting real weird toward me. And he's just desperate for me to come home. He's like, you should just come home. It doesn't matter. He didn't even want me to leave in the first place and neither did my mom. They didn't even want me to go. And as much as my parents and I have our history and they have their trauma history that unfortunately affected me directly. And you guys know because I've talked about it on here. There's no denying that they love me. They didn't even want me to leave, but I left to protect them. And my dad would cry when I was gone, worried about me and the virus. So I notice him acting weird and there's no fooling me. I know him and I tell my mom he's acting funny. What's wrong with him? I finally get him to fess up that he feels sick. He started having chills, low grade fever, some difficulty breathing, coughing, and just that general sense of just feeling unwell. And so I waited until the morning just to be certain because there is such a thing as a common cold going around as well in the flu season and whatnot. And so I didn't want to jump the gun. He went, he got himself tested at his doctor's office. He got his result within 15 minutes and it was positive. I packed all of my stuff and I rushed home. At this point I get home, my mom's asymptomatic. We are not sure if she's positive at this point. She's having like a little cough. And that's it. So I get home. I see my dad and he looks okay. I mean, he looks like he doesn't feel well, but he doesn't look terrible. You know, he looks stable to me. My dad is this big, strong man to me. 
you know, he's active, he's a beast, he does everything, he, he drives, he does groceries, he takes care of my mother. Um, and so I look at him and I see that he's using oxygen, supplemental oxygen, and that's not his thing. Um, typically, even though he does suffer from COPD and congestive heart failure, he's not one to utilize oxygen. He doesn't need it. So he's using it and I'm taking his oxygen, you know, with the ox- oximeter and um, checking his temperature and everything is looking good. So I'm here like, okay, great. I'm doing a great job. I got this. I'm going to be the best nurse ever. I'm going to take great care of both of them and make sure that they survive this virus on my watch. So that same night, it was like 3 a.m. and I went to check on my dad and everything was cool. He was using his oxygen. He was saturating well. His temperature was good. 30 minutes later, I am in my bedroom and I get a phone call from my mom saying, come over here, hurry up. 30 minutes. That was all it took for my father to decompensate. I go in there and the man is sweating. He's short of breath. I have him on oxygen. I put him on three liters at this point. It's not enough. He's saturating in the 80s. So I don't play any kind of games with the people I love and their health. And so I call 911. They come and they take him. But he looked so bad. He was sweating. He looked like he was going to pass out. It was the most horrendous sight, traumatizing sight. So the paramedics take him and I follow in my car. And when you're going to emergency, at least at Kendall Regional, which is where he is currently, um, they do let you go in, one person in emergency. But once the person transitions to a room, you are no longer allowed to attend or visit. So I'm there with my dad in emergency and he's stabilizing and he's stabilizing and he's stabilizing. And little by little, he starts to show promise and progress. And so these three doctors came in and were like, hey, your father has, and mind you, they were very nice, but they were very honest. And they were like, your father has severe COVID pneumonia. Um, it doesn't look good for him. You know, we're going to give him all the treatments and everything, the plasma and all the other medications that are being used now to treat COVID. But because of his age and his congestive heart failure and COPD and conditions, um, I wouldn't recommend that you intubate him. So if it comes down to the point of him needing a ventilator, is that something that you want to do? And so my dad pointed at me and said, I make decisions for him. And I said, listen, right now he's of sound mind and body. Let him make his own choice. Ask him what he wants to do. So originally he said, no, I don't want to be intubated. So he signed the paper. Our day progressed. He was getting better. He was showing progress. He went from using the BiPAP machine to just using high flow oxygen, like a nasal cannula with like high flow. I go home, I visit my mother, I make sure that she's okay, that she's eaten. I had my friend, shout out to her, babysit my mother 
because she's handicapped while I went to go see my dad and he was fine he was getting better and then all of a sudden they took him in for a CT scan they moved him from one bed to another and all of that movement was so much for him and he just decompensated and he was no longer saturating above 85 even with the BiPAP so at that point the doctor comes in and says hey this is the only option that you have at this point he would need to be on a ventilator to see you know if there's a chance for him and so he points at me again and says my daughter makes my decisions ask her what I should do and I swear to you of course when you love somebody you're go-to is always do whatever you can figure it out save them of course intubate let's do this put him on the ventilator but I stayed out of his choice and I'm still so proud of myself for that because to me for me it was an act of selflessness to allow him to be the one to dictate his future and so my exact words were just dad I'll do whatever you want I support what you want. And so he thought about it for a moment and he said, okay, if there's no other choice, intubate me. So my dad wanted to fight. He wanted to try. So I told him I loved him. He told me he loved me. And I asked him to fight for me. And that's the last conversation I had with him. Um, from there on, he was intubated. He is still intubated. He has been showing steady, consistent, small progress every day. He's been intubated for seven days. Um, I've been receiving pretty, you know, positive reports about how he's doing. But there was this one doctor that reached out to me today with horrible bedside manner. That was pretty much like, yeah, okay, well, he's getting a little better, but not by much. And it's not significant enough for him to, you know, get off the ventilator. And um, his quality of life is going to be impaired neurologically and physically. And do you want to, you know, do the tracheotomy? Because that requires him to be in a long, you know, long-term care facility. And shouldn't you just put him in hospice, basically? Now, you guys know me from the podcast. Some of you know me personally. I try to be as rational of a person as possible. If somebody's telling me each and every single day, your father's not getting better, I don't believe in torturing him or prolonging his suffering. But if I'm hearing for the past week, he's showing strides, he's moving in the right direction, he's looking good, then you better believe that I am going to fight for his life. And I told him that. We've had these conversations and I looked at him in the eyes and I said, I will fight for you. But I'm also not going to prolong your suffering if there's no hope. He's aware. And he trusts me. That's why he put me in charge of his choices. And I already signed the DNR. And that's my personal choice. I don't believe 
that that is something he would want based on conversations we've had. But I want him to get all of the treatment, to get all of the help, barring the DNR, um, or the, the chest compressions, rather. I, I don't want that for him. But I want him to get all of the help. And he continues to show promise and progress. I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know if next time I record an episode, I'm going to be telling you guys that I lost my dad. Or if I'm going to be telling you guys that he's back home with me. Or what I'm going to be saying. But I will say this. If you're a doctor, a nurse, in the medical field, a therapist of any kind, mental health, physical, occupational, etc. And you have reached the point of burnout. To the point where you're no longer operating to help others heal. You're operating on the basis of, well, people are dying anyway, so let's just get this over with. Because I'm jaded and I don't want to front this or deal with this. Reconsider your position. Reconsider your field choice. Because the day that I become so burnt out that I'm no longer effective as a clinician, I don't want to be a therapist anymore. Because I became to help, not to hurt. And I understand that a doctor has a job to tell you, hey, this is the situation, this is what's going on. But there are ways to say that and to convey that. Especially when I've been hearing for days that the man is improving. And he said it himself, yeah, he's improving, but not enough. Okay, well, it's been seven days. Can we give the man some time? Oh, well, we can't keep him intubated for too long. Well, how long can we keep him intubated? 14 days. Okay, we're not even there yet. Can we wait? Can we get there and see how he evolves? At some point throughout all of this, my mom also ended up in the hospital. But she was released within a day. Um, She received a monoclonal I don't know if I'm pronouncing that correctly, antibody treatment as a preventative measure to ensure that there were no complications as a result of COVID. Um, And I guess the treatment may or may not have had some adverse side effects, but she was acting very strangely when she got here. And so I went ahead and took her in. Um, But fortunately right now she's doing okay. Other than, you know, fatigue and weakness, she feels okay. And she has fared pretty well with the virus so far. Because we just don't know. It's so unpredictable. And it's crazy because if you see my mother and you see my father and you think of COVID, you think, oh man, COVID's going to take Olivia's mom. COVID don't want nothing to do with Olivia's dad. Strong ass dude. Yeah, no. My mom has been asymptomatic for the most part. And my dad is the one that is struggling right now. And so... I'm sharing this with you all because I want you to know that COVID is not a game. And I knew that in March, but you have a certain level of familiarity when it's happening to you directly. But I knew that in March, and I knew that in April, and I knew that in May, and all the months after that, when people were dying. COVID is not a game. Yes. My father has underlying conditions, COPD, congestive heart failure. Yes, but COVID was the catalyst 
it was what exacerbated those conditions. Because my dad was on medication management with increased quality of life. There were no issues there. Okay, so I don't know what's gonna happen. I know that I'm scared and I'm scared for my mother and how she's going to feel if my father doesn't come home and I'm having a lot of just feelings about my relationship with my father and how over the years there has been so much growth in it and I know it's largely because I have taught him the true meaning of unconditional love. I have loved him through his flaws. I have loved him through the trauma that he bestowed upon me. I have loved him through all of it fiercely and I know that that consistency over the years is what eventually started to soften his spirit. And I want an opportunity to continue to nurture my relationship with him. So I ask that you all keep him in your prayers, keep me in your prayers, keep my mother in your prayers, pray for strength, pray for healing. And I ask that you keep safe My experience with COVID-19 was not terrible personally. I did have a little bit of shortness of breath. I don't know if I mentioned that for like a day or two, but it was mostly upon movement. And I made sure that I always monitored my oxygen and my temperature. If you don't already have a thermometer and an oximeter, you need that. Get your hands on it. If you are an otherwise healthy person without any COPD or respiratory conditions, you should be oxygenating between 94 and 100. Anything below 94 is a visit to the ER. Please be safe. Please take care of your families. Please hug your loved ones while you still can. And please pray that my father makes a full recovery that defies all logic and medical science. This was a hard episode to record, but I felt it was a necessary one. And I hope that me sharing my story helps some of you understand how this can affect people. And more and more people are becoming infected. More and more people are also surviving, though. But we just have to be careful because we just don't know how your particular DNA is going to respond to COVID. I hope that the next time I record an episode, it's to tell you guys that my father recovered. But if it's not, you know I'll come on here anyway and I'll let you know what's really going on. I like to be as authentic as possible with all of you um, because I'm not just a therapist. I'm not just a clinician. I'm human too, and I have my trauma, and I have my hardships, and I have my anxiety, I have my depression, I have these things, I have these battles, but I've also been receiving more support than I've ever received in my life from the world's most amazing circle of people that have prayed for me, loved me, supported me, 
encouraged me. And I truly just want to emphasize that love moves mountains. And if it wasn't for love, I wouldn't still be standing today. So love people. That's all you need to do. Don't give advice. Don't don't tell people what to do. Don't, you know, talk down to people. Don't argue unnecessarily with people. Just love people. Love them through everything. That's all you can do. And that's all that can really make a difference. Until next time, stay safe, everybody.